passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the long and winding Royal Road. My name is W.H. Park, and of course, this is the show that looks at the the greatest era for in-ring professional wrestling, in my opinion, at least, and that's 1990s All Japan Pro Wrestling. And uh, joining me today on a very special episode uh, is someone who does a great podcast, not about All Japan or New Japan or anything, but Dragon Gate professional wrestling with uh, a, a former guest on the show case low it's it's mike spears from the open the voice gate podcast mike thank you for joining me here today thank you so much for having me i feel like we've, we've talked about doing this kind of episode for a while and i'm glad that now we are committing and doing this and you complete the open the voice gate uh i don't know if it, it would be like the biathlon i mean one episode about Kabashi, the other episode for Hanson. It kind of it, it kind of works. I, somehow, Case and I managed to work this out in a, a way that we managed to kind of do our own little thing. But I'm so stoked to be here and talk about yeah, all Japan in the '90s and Stan Hanson, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. So, so Mike has has revealed it. I he he stole my thunder here, but that's okay. Sorry, sorry. No, 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 not at all. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, we are doing the return of the biography episodes. Of course, we have done Misawa. Kawada, Kobashi, Tawe, and of course, uh, the unofficial fifth pillar, Junakiyama. We did we did a biography episode on him. Today, I, I would say, in my opinion, the sixth pillar, more than more than even Jumbo, who I love dearly, but I would say maybe more important to the four pillars and their development as main event guys through the ranks of All Japan Pro Wrestling is one Stan Hansen. What, what would you say about that, Mike? I think that it, when you look at the four pillars and then when you are just like how this promotion was like, and, and I think it's something that with Hanson, he filled this role, like within especially this era, it, it was so important to have natives versus foreigners. And you had Stan Hansen, who, with the exception of the guy who broke him in the business, I think, uh, and, and maybe those who come lately, the, the like the most important foreigner maybe maybe uh I, i'm blanking on his name right now maybe destroyer but like he's like the most important foreigner i would say like so, so like it, it is something that's natural that he would be the sixth pillar because he is someone that like not only like 
was throughout the 90s with All Japan. It, it is something that when you like look at someone within pro wrestling, I think like Stan Hansen is like is very singular in a lot of ways, especially in the path he took. And I think that he is, if not one of the more fascinating kind of people of that era, just because how distinct he was and just like w- with how things played in with the other pillars. I just think he was just phenomenal. And I just, to, to be frank, there's not wrestlers like Stan Hansen anymore. And no. it is something that, he talks about and it, it was a point he made like 12 years ago and it's very and, and even with like how wrestling is nowadays with like the greatest like cons- like we have more wrestling available to us than ever but we don't have a stan hansen we don't have someone who is that kind of presence like i don't even know like who you could even compare to or someone who fills like a similar role to that it just doesn't exist anymore I, i'm sure one john bradshaw layfield would like to think he did that but he did not <laughs> you know he was, he was more like a, a jr ewing meets ted DiBiase kind of a thing and the only thing that he really lifted from stan hansen was uh, was his lariat but not even his lariat can't compare to, to stan hansen's um but before we get into stan hansen let's talk about you mike you are of course very well known for your love for dragon gate and like the most comprehensive, the most well like researched, you know, podcast about the company. If everybody, anybody wants to get into Dragon Gate, you have to listen to I, Mike here and Case Low on Open the Voice Gate over at the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And uh, trust me, like sometimes I dip in and out, and it's like, okay, I got to get refreshed on what's happening. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I just go, okay, gonna listen to several episodes of Open the Voice Gate, and, and I'm all caught up. So definitely. Please go check that. We'll get the plugs in, of course, at the end of the episode. But, but, uh, but, Mike, what is your history, your fandom for this this company, All Japan Pro Wrestling, of this era? You know, it, it is something that, as a, I think they now called me an elder millennial. Like I kind of came into wrestling at a time that, like I was mentioning about, like the greatest time for consumption, but when you think about like late 90s early 2000s if you're a teenager it's a lot of magazines and you see these great photos the especially like the after mags that i remember and this is a very uh short-lived magazine and probably for very good reason called wow that i, I would always wow. yeah but it always had like the, the 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 paper was always like shiny and it was always really good quality and the photos were always super vivid with what they did and i would always remember like I would flip through it and I'd always turn to the Japan portion. Like even before I had any concept of what wrestling was across the world, I was just intrigued by it. And I would like see these photos of like Kawada and uh, Misawa and Hanson. And it was just something that would just seem so different from what I was seeing. So as I got older, went away to college, got file share services, like, and like how a lot of people were able to, I was able to like, find out and seek it out and it's something that i just find baba's booking and the way that all japan kind of presents itself especially like during those times as we talk about all the time on open the voice gate about talent development it is something that i think that dragon gate really has done a emphasis of of the last six or seven years really putting the talent and talent development at the forefront as they are encountering issues that all Japan would suffer would would counter with Tenryu and SWS and having to have like this sudden elevation there. 
I, I see so many like like similarities in a way, but I think that even with what Dragon Gate's at right now and how they managed to crank out all these talented wrestlers in the middle of COVID of all things, I, I just the way that all Japan just like kind of called to me. And then as the older I got and the more I was able to have like the resources, you know, the, like when you're a college kid, you're not tape trading. You're, you're not able to do that. But like going back and then being able to go like, oh, all right. I'm able to go get the carnival from 90 and be able to get sit down in like my dorm room as like my roommate is going, what is this guy doing? And I'm just like, no, I'm just going through 1990 uh, champion carnival right now in 2005. Like, don't worry about don't worry about how I'm making this like play. And there's not any like anyone speaking English. This is not about you. But it's one of those things I just have always found myself drawn to. And I just think that it's like it's just a, such a fascinating and like uh, uh, idyllic time in wrestling in a lot of ways for sure for sure so let's talk about stan hansen and your first exposure to him so for myself my first exposure to stan hansen was actually through the awa because we would get all right we would get like so the 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 the, the montreal promotion that that the rougeos worked for right and that uh, you know, Dino Bravo worked for, and where like early, you know, Haku worked there, and they had a relationship with the AWA, where and of course Rick Martel, who was oh, AWA yeah. champion when when I was started watching wrestling, he he was also the booker of you know the Montreal promotion, and so like they would broadcast AWA matches. So of course one of the matches that they broadcast was Rick Martel versus. Stan Hansen. This is my first time ever seeing Stan Hansen. I was actually already familiar with Martel, and I'm like, this is a really good match. And then, you know, this is a, this is of course the match that Martel loses the AWA oh, yeah. World Title to Stan Hansen via the Boston Crab, where Stan Hansen is in the turnbuckle, and he's and to, for to prevent Martel from breaking the Boston Crab, he he keeps putting his head against the second turnbuckle, unbeknownst to the the dumbass referee who can't who's not even willing to check what Stan Hansen is doing in the corner, and this is it. And then for 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 the the portion of the time that I'm able to have access to AWA wrestling, Stan Hansen is the AWA world champion. So for me, he's synonymous with that title in a lot of ways, which is which is ironic considering oh, yeah. his history with that title. But that's my first encounter with him as as a, as a teenager. And then later on, like he doesn't really wrestle that much in in, in the United States, really. Most of his mm-hmm. time is spent in Japan, particularly for for Giant Baba's uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling. And then, you know, you hear him some hear his name here and there, you read the aftermags, oh he's He's wrestling over there. He's a champion over there. He's teaming with Ted DiBiase and Danny Spivey. Oh, they're wrestling over there sometimes. So it's not until I start tape trading and I'm like, okay, what's the big deal about this all Japan stuff? You know, who's this Misawa guy? Who's Kawada? And then, oh shit, Stan Hansen's working here. And then I'm watching Stan Hansen. I'm like, oh my God, he is fucking amazing. He's even better than he was in the eighties because the, the quality of opponents he's having in all Japan is just like nothing against Rick Martel. I think Rick Martel is awesome, but oh, I, like, I think he's underappreciated. In a lot oh of yeah, ways. he. But you know, you get Masawa Kawada, Kobashi Tawe. It's like we just going to another level, right? But and the style, of course, is much different than the '80s. So, and I'm just like, how old is this guy now in in this era? But he he looks really he's he's probably one of those wrestlers that looks older than he actually is. You know, like John Tenta. 
Oh, oh yeah, and especially like given like his look and like how he would like present himself. I mean, like you, if you put a photo of like AWA era with like the, uh, with the, uh, I forgot what it's called the the the, the plate belt. I I, I the, the prisoner belt, the one that they like made there. If you like take a look at him, you like you could guess somewhere between thirty five to sixty. Like, and yes. it's just something that, like, he also carries himself in a certain way that, like, whenever I see a photo of Stan Hansen, like, he would, I think he was just at uh, Kobashi's Fortune Dream show that just happened. Like, he did an appearance at it, and it's like, oh, yeah, he looks like he's 90. And it's just like, no, Stan Hansen's actually 65 or he's 70 now. He just, like, it, it, it's like something I think about him and, like, the kind of style and, like, West Texas that just ages people. And the mustache, too. Oh, the mustache, tremendous mustache that do that as well. Yes. But for me, it's like, okay, I'm watching his matches here in Japan. And like, honestly, like if I was, if you were to ask me, WH, what's your top five wrestlers of all time? He's in there. He's always in there. Like other people can move up and down. He's always in like the top five. Sometimes he's at number three. Sometimes he's, he's moved. Down. Depends my my mood that week. You know, you know what I'm saying, Mike? Oh, oh, oh yeah. It, it's something that like, I, I feel kind of bad about it in a way that like my favorite wrestler of all time is Terry Funk. I, I'm a Terry truther, but like when I think about who is cooler, I, I just think about the guy who takes the rope and runs through the crowd and just does not stop and does not stop. And the, the way that it, it maybe like as a, as a memory for me, like I think probably the first match I saw was the Vader match. And it was something that like, as like the, being of the age that you would go on LimeWire, Kazaa, whatever, and you're like searching for things and you like see this and you see this guy do this, he almost looks superhuman in a way. And it's just like, no, no, he is just this guy from uh, from West Texas, from Knox City of all places, like a really small town. But I, I know that it, he always claims from Bulger. Uh, they don't play actual like 11 man American football in Knox City. It's that small of a town. They, they play six man football. But, like, it kind of, like, generates, like, that kind of tough person, like, living out in the panhandle in West Texas. And I, in a way, like, even more so than Terry Funk, who, like, has Double Cross Ranch. Whenever I think of, like, Texas, like, Texas wrestler, Stan Hansen is the Texas wrestler. Yes. I I think it helps that he wears the boots. Oh, yeah. He has the chaps. He has the vest. He has the hat. Like, Terry Funk doesn't, has all those, but he's... You know, like also, there's a period of his career where he's like, you know, he's got the he's in his ECW era. That's very oh, oh yeah, the cutoff, the the cutoff shirt. Yeah, and and he's got the the, the striped you know tights and stuff, the long boys. Whereas Stan Hansen, he he also wears his cowboy boots, his cowboy wrestling boots. And Stan Hansen, and Terry Funk never really did that. I, right. I feel like he like Dusty Rhodes has the cowboy boots, and like you know, the Barry Windham has. The same style of cowboy boots, Magnum TA, all those people. Like you, I think of them. I don't know if Magnum TA is a Texas wrestler, though. You know, like Wyndham and, and Rose and Hanson are. But you know what I mean? Like yeah. I associate those style of boots. Where whereas Terry Funk yeah. was like just more regular wrestling boots. And, and, and Terry changed a lot. Like like as you were saying, the ECW era versus like the Funk Brothers and like this. Like he he, he was someone that I think that one of the reasons I'm a Terry person. I know this isn't a Terry show, but one of the reasons I'm a Terry person is just like he was able to evolve in the times. And I think that's such an interesting comparison to Stan Hansen, who the same Stan Hansen that retired in 2000 was pretty much the same Stan Hansen that showed up and 
and walked out of New Japan and appeared at the Tag League Finals, the, like that tour. And, like it's the same person across those eighteen years. I, I think the thing we'll and we'll talk about. We're going to get into like actually talk about his 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 personal history and getting into Japan and stuff. Don't worry, folks. But one thing that that really stands out about me about Stan Hansen is that the business changes around him. He doesn't really change that much in fact i think he thrives where he's like oh we can we can hit each other really harder and and like it's expected that's and that's what's expected of him in japan he talks about this in his book it's like people say oh i I was stiffing them or whatever it's like no this is what people pay to see is me like wrestling really hard and hitting you really hard and people want to see me get hard hit hard in return and that's if you can't deal with that you know working here in japan that's the market expectation then don't work here and i I think it's really interesting that he really thrives with this 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 evolution of the style of wrestling in the 90s in all japan with masawa kobashi and kawada and taway and then and then you include the other you know foreigners that that wrestled there dr Steve williams terry gordy it's like okay these guys like they they live for that style and i think stan hansen also lived for that style and he he just like but he he's all like you're saying mike he's the guy that like wrestled like lex luger for the <laughs> wcw united states title and, and, and the beat him for that and then for like a short you know period of time in wcw and then he's also the same guy that's you know having these you know, getting dropped on his head by Ka- kawada and 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 masawa and stuff like that and just tearing them apart and it's it's amazing to see that dichotomy. He's also the same guy that quote unquote broke Bruno Sammartino's neck, you know, in the in the seventies. So hey. it's amazing what a career he has had. And and it, like this is you know if I if I'm starting to gush early, it's because like I I, I love talking about Stan Hansen. It, it it's something that I think that part of Stan Hansen is, and he talks a lot about this is the football background, and I think that. He was someone that when we think about like how wrestlers nowadays come about, it's usually okay. They watch it and then they uh, find a school or they post clips on Twitter and YouTube. They get signed and they go from there. He kind of was the person that was like West Texas A&M at that time was like this place that was like a performance center before the performance center. You had all of these incredible wrestlers just come through there and and the the way that football was at that time lends yourself to like it, after you're done with football, like going into and being in a very competitive, hard hitting uh, aerobic. And I think that's something really important about talking about Sam Hansen is for a guy who was 290 pounds, he would he made a point of being constant motion. And I think that it, that comes from that kind of style of Texas football of that time. And I think that like it kind of produced that that if you look at a lot of the people that 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 you've mentioned and a lot of like all Japan uh, foreigners that come through there, I mean, it, you can almost start with the West Texas A and M like alumni list, and you, you will come across like of course the Funks, Bruiser Brody. I I know Duncan Junior did tours, but he did not play for West Texas. His dad did though, and Ted DiBiase. And it it's something that when you like look at the people who've really kind of thrived and in all Japan and you look at the for the foreigners you you kind of have to look at like this one like small college that all these people started playing football at and they would they're right next to Amarillo that's the thing about this college is that it's 
I think 20 minutes drive from Amarillo, which is the Funks territory. And it just kind of was like a natural way in a way. And I think that like Stan Hansen in his own way was like the perfect example of going from football into wrestling and then finding the style of wrestling that best fits you. Because I don't think that there's a lot of like former athletes that hit that transition and find and really like take to it in a way that like Stan Hansen did. Okay, so he is born John Stanley Hansen the second. He's his birthday is August 29th, 1949. He is he was trained by Dory Funk Sr., Dory Funk Jr., and of course, the youngest brother, Terry Funk. Terry Funk's yeah, Terry's the youngest, right? Of the two. Yeah, yeah, no, I think uh Dory was four or five years older than him. So he he's he's discovered like what is it? Like they see him like playing right football yeah it, it, it was something that they were alumni coming to like see them play football and it's like who is this stan hansen guy he was like the middle linebacker for this team that was not necessarily a good football team but they saw him and he was a football player that he attempted to make the nfl for two teams he tried for the chargers was one of them and after that he decided to go back and finish his degree and start teaching and then Terry Funk says, hey, you can make a lot more money than teaching wrestling. And it was off to the races from there. I think the story in his book is like he goes to meet the Funks. They say, yeah, you can make like at the time, I think it was like three hundred or four hundred dollars. And he's like, oh, I'm barely making five hundred a month. And they're like they're laughing at him. They're like, no, no, that's a week (laughs) as a professional wrestler. If you if you're successful at it, you can make three hundred dollars a week. And he's like, whoa. Okay, I'm quitting my job. No, they were like, don't quit your job right now. Finish the semester <laughs> of teaching. Come back to us. We will train you. We'll break you in. And that's what happens. They break him into the business. They get him a lot of dates. I think he starts off with in the Amarillo uh, territory. Yeah. He uh, he makes his debut in 1973, working for the, uh, the, the NWA Western States Territory out of Texas and also doing dates for a championship wrestling from Florida. Which I believe is is that is that the the Mike Graham uh, yep uh, yeah that territory? was Mike Graham at that time right so so he's working two of the more famous territories in the United States at in the seventies and, and really getting his feet wet there as starting off as a jobber for the most part getting more experience he also uh, before he starts wrestling he he meets uh, a, a guy by the name of Frank Goodish uh, when he's and and this is like. His first impression in his book is like, wow, this guy is kind of a, a kind of strange. I, I, what's up with this dude? But then, of course, Frank Goodish becomes famously becomes the wrestler known as Bruiser Brody. They start teaming in, I believe, the uh, the Tri-State Wrestling promotion uh, that Leo McGurk. Promotion. Yeah, that, yeah, I think Tri-State is what they called uh, because Leo McGurk had two different portions. It was the Oklahoma into louisiana arkansas and then the gulf area louisiana throughout there i i i know that it was something that was like a weird split territory in a way but it was like tri-state which i believe was the oklahoma louisiana part so of course his 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 partnership both in like in the ring but also backstage was like probably the most enduring and probably most important relationship in his professional career because I th- really feel that Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen were like kindred spirits and how, and how they looked at business. Right. Oh, yeah. They are, they are both famous for like 
like okay we're not going to take any shit from promoters <laughs> like if you if you want to deal business with us you understand first japan is the most important thing to us if you cannot handle that that we price priority to japan for stan hansen primarily to giant baba for for bruiser brody to, to basically anyone who will pay him <laughs> like he, he, he wasn't <laughs> as loyal to baba to himself but that is an, a mindset that they developed together i feel uh oh, yeah. and it comes through in his book that he, we're and this this will come into later when we talk about his run in the awa with and his his relationship with Vern gagne uh but this and they also form one of the most formidable and hard-hitting and fearsome tag teams of all time because if you are a wrestler and you are staring across the ring and you see stan hansen and bruiser brody as a shoot, you're probably like shit. They're gonna beat the fucking shit out of me. <laughs> and, and when you like, you think about it, you have like these two guys that it, I feel like, in a way, that this is if we're going to make the movie of San Hansen's life, you really pick it up as he's at West Texas A and M. He walks in, meets Frank Goodish, and Frank Goodish, Bruiser Brody, is kind of in, in a lot of ways is his partner throughout life and throughout the career there. And I think there's like a hell of a movie there between the those two but it, it, it's something whenever i think about uh hansen and gordy uh, i i'm going to try to control my dragon gate references on a non-dragon gate show here but there's a reason why uh dragon gate always has soccer chikawa be stan hansen he always does like he does like stanny chikawa hansen or he does a or if he's doing a tag team he'll do it with he'll be hansen someone else's brody they are just such a presence and it's it, it, it's something that I, I I find Bruiser Brody fascinating. I think that it is something that when you have this West Texas guy meet up with this guy who, I mean, Frank Goodish on the side was a sports writer, incredibly intelligent, incredibly well-spoken guy. They, like, they completed themselves. And it, it is something that I really find fascinating. I, I, I do really think that there is probably a Hanson Brody movie if someone if someone wants to put forth the money i'll get a treatment out for that i think it could be really good i mean if you're making a movie with the von erics you, you can make a movie about stan hansen and and Bruce brody oh yeah and you could pretty much use the same sets i mean i don't think you're going to be able to use the guy from the bear in this so it's not like we're going to be able to share a cast with it but i i really think that and, and i mean like there's no more like one of the more tragic stories right there between like those two and just the way that like Hanson, like as we'll get into it later, I, I think in the way that like, it's good that he had all Japan and he had the four pillars around him in that nineties run, because it comes so fresh off of the death of Brody. And I think that that in a lot of ways, like you have those phases of his career and his life. And it, it, it is something that with like Bruce, that with Frank Goodish, Bruce or Brody, it starts back in 75, but it really like starts like back in college for them. Yeah, I mean, well, let's 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 continue with the the Brody partnership thread here, Mike. Like, because I, I think it's 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 very telling because, like you say, so you know, Stan Hansen gets his first tour with with in Japan with All Japan in 1975 via being booked through the Funks, who were the kind of booking agent for a lot of the for most of the foreign talent that would come from America to to uh, Japan. Because Baba had a great relationship with the Funk family, uh, he would send Jumbo Saruta to them to to get trained by them. And so it's like, you know, like, so here, like, Bruiser Brody's making his name in Japan as well. Here's Abdullah Butcher making his name in Japan as well. And here comes 
Stan Hansen, who makes a, a pretty, you know, like a great impression, particularly because, you know, at, at, at this early start of his Japanese career, because he's got this association with Bruiser Brody, who is probably the most unique, like, well, I, I can't say most unique because you have do have Abdul the Butcher, who's probably, <laughs> I'm going to say maybe the most unique guy to ever wrestle in Japan yeah. who wasn't Japanese. Yeah, it, 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 you had like this time where you had Abby, you had Bruiser Brody, and then you had Tiger Ali Singh. So you had like, the, the, and then you have Hanson there. It's just like, how would anyone like go to a show for, uh, go to a show in like 70s, 80s Japan and like not be terrified that their umbrella is going to get absolutely wrecked every single time. And and if we take a look at like kind of the, the talent that, that Baba was booking before the 80s, uh, as far as foreign talent goes, it's, it's Dick Bayer, the destroyer, of course, one of the most famous wrestlers of, of all time in Japan. Um, uh, you have the, you know, the Funk Brothers, who were beloved in all Japan because Baba really pushed them really hard. And of course, you know, natural charisma of Terry Funk and, and Derek Dory Funk, such a great wrestler. Um, but but then then of course, like he also had a great relationship with Bruno Sammartino, who he booked in the in, in, in all Japan. But then you get to the nineties, and here comes these two guys who are like not of the mold of Dick Bayer, not of the mold of the, of the even the Funk brothers or Terry Funk by himself or or Bruno Sammartino. You or like who else is getting booked there? Mill Mascaris, I guess, right? <laughs> is getting built there. Here here is like two wild men from Texas, <laughs> Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen. And I think, you know, they set the template for the wild brawlers who are of course now who you know baba wisely put in the ring a lot of the times against the funk brothers because it was such a great contrast and it got these guys over as heels but like you know like the great thing about wrestling is like if you're a great heel eventually the fans are going to turn you and you're oh, going to yeah. become a beloved baby <laughs> not i don't think they're baby faces but like god my god they are so popular and to a point you made earlier stan hansen i'm gonna say as someone who lived in japan Stan Hansen is the most famous foreign wrestler to ever wrestle in that country. More, and I'm going to say, I'm not going to say more the most popular. I think he is one of the most popular. I don't know if he's the most popular, but he's the most famous. Like that, he penetrates oh, easily pop culture more than more than Terry Funk. More than I don't know. Like people say, oh, is he? You know what people would say to me, Mike? Oh, is Kenny Omega on that level? I'm like, come on, are you serious? It, it, no, that that is like such like, and it's something that for me like i always try to contextualize things like people have to realize that like w when you like you pick up like manga you you will still see someone who is drawn like stan hansen to this day whenever they need like a big tall american person they're probably gonna look like stan hansen like that's a certain kind of like cultural permeation that kenny omega just does not even have the opportunity to even glance i would have people mike you know like in my job people when they learn that i love wrestling professional oh, wrestling, oh you protes skidas oh yes i i love protes and they'll ask me what i like and i was like oh zenihan perez you know from oh mm -hmm. baba oh yeah yeah, yeah. giant baba yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and then then they'll like inevitably they'll mention they'll mention baba and then they'll mention next i shit you not they'll mention stan hansen and then they'll do oh, the yeah. youth, the youth, and then you know <laughs> lariat, and then then they'll they, they know the lariat, they know the youth, his call, you know. They, yeah, yeah, I mean they, sunrise no is theme, yeah, yes. No one else, no one, no one, it, no one ever brought up like other foreign wrestlers. No fucking Hulk Hogan, nothing like that. It's Stan Hansen. He, this was, and this is people who never watched wrestling. 
This is people who were born after Stan Hansen had retired. <laughs> would would oh, ask yeah. me about Stan Hansen. I'm like, how do you know Stan Hansen? Because he is the archetype from which, you know, like you you think of when you think of an American wrestler is Stan Hansen. Now, like 20 years from now, might be someone different. Right. Like, but I think Stan Hansen will always permeate, you know, Japanese wrestling culture and to a large extent the the wider pop culture and and like you know like like he's imprinted on Japanese culture in general it, I, I feel like it, it's someone that like he does talk about in, in the book that he like became like contemporaries was Randy Bass and Randy Bass is someone for for people who do not know Japanese baseball Randy Bass was like the the first big like foreign star who just like was raking he like was setting he was no Sadaharo oh but he was someone who was threatening his records and he became like this figure that if he stayed in japan he probably would have be become like one of like those really culturally like permeating people like like stan hansen he instead became a politician in oklahoma but i feel like that you, you have these like archetypes that at least for like when you think about like hansen like 80s into 90s the the, the the Japanese miracle still happening towards like this wrestling and at like its height at, at that era leading into the, like the nineties and the rebuild after SWS he's there and he is the one front and center. Like I somehow got a copy of Bruiser Brody Memorial program from Budokan. I was gifted it and I was like, this is insane. I like flipped through it and front and center, like other than like the photos of course of like, roster members going through it the car it's like an, an article for brody huge photos of st hansen all over it it's just imprinted on it and i don't know if there's a way that it could happen that a foreigner can can like even have be in a position to kind of have the cultural impact that st hansen has i mean one of my kind of grails as a as a wrestling collectible is the the famous i think it's it's either gong or weekly perez of stan hansen and bruiser brody Dressed as samurai. <laughs> oh, that's such a cool picture! It is, it is the best. That that was like a forum profile photo for like whenever you would see that on a message board in like the early two thousands, you knew that person knew what was up. Yeah, like, you did not mess with someone who had samurai, Stan, and Bruiser. So I, 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 I'm gonna find that picture one of these days and like in Totacon or, or somewhere. And I'm, I'm going to snap it up. I'll tell you that right now, Mike. So, so getting back to like his history, we're just jumping all over the place because like, you know, that's like Stan Hansen's wrestling style. Oh yeah. Jumping up all over the place. So yeah. Yeah. He, He's he, going to throw you outside the ring. We're going right? to kind of meander a little bit. He, you ever see that match he does with, uh, I think he's, he, I think he's teaming with Gordy. And something happens, and he goes fucking crazy, like legit crazy. He's so angry. He yells at Baba. Yeah. He's destroying the ring. I forget someone. Someone like potatoes him, and he is so pissed. I forget. I might have been Tenru. I forget ex- exactly. I, I I feel like that it was maybe it it, it was uh, Gordy and Hanson versus Revolution. Like, like I do remember Tenru being involved at that time. I don't know if it was another who who he was tagging with at that match, but like I. I, I feel like Hanson was like notorious for being the one that would just like suddenly in the middle of the match flip out and go like run in the crowd. Oh, you know, it was Asahara Hara. Yeah. Oh, that makes was, sense. Yeah. So if it's, yeah, it was that. And then he, he just goes nuts and like, they just let him like the crowd just runs away from him and he's like destroying the ring keepers table, everything it's out there on YouTube. I highly recommend watching it. If you want to see how legit, like 
don't fuck with Stan Hansen. Terror. This is a, yes. How did Baba not get kicked out of more buildings because of him? It, like you always talk about. Yeah, it, it is Baba. Like everyone's just like, oh no, it's Baba. But like you think about like because of Beat Takeshi uh, and Vader, uh, like uh, the, the Sumo Hall kicked out New Japan for years. How did they not get like Stan Hansen like tearing down something like? and like get expelled from sling baba must be really good must have been really My great God. that's moving that Dude, over. he 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 got terry gordy out of japan for drug possession so that's you know better than paul mccartney there there you go better than that than, than you him. know so uh so he he makes his debut in 75 for all japan he he would do also do some tours from New Japan between the years of 77 and 81 uh before making a very shocking jump back to all japan aligning himself being basically he finishes a show for all japan takes a taxi across to uh i think probably in sumo hall new japan i think or korakin and he's taking the cab over to fucking budokan and he shows up in the corner of uh bruiser brody and jimmy snooker who are taking on the funks and and it's crazy it's like what people are going absolutely apeshit because they're like what the fuck is stan hansen doing here and then it just and then it becomes a big melee between like you know basically hansen and brody against the, the funk brothers jimmy snook is in there but he's kind of an afterthought really if you watch the video um, yeah but it, it is it and then basically he is an all japan guy from this point on i just think it's so like that is something like like that jump and it, it it is something that I I like the last outlaw the his autobiography like the the way that he the 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 steps that he made to make that jump I don't think like really get enough credit like doing like secret meetings in Dallas Fort Worth International Airport with Baba flying in just to have that meeting of Stan Hansen and keeping it under wraps like it I you you can't have moments like this like like what would be like the the, the the biggest thing that would I don't think that there's a way that someone could jump that way from promotions now it would nowadays or be able to do it and it be such like an organic shock when it happened and it's one of the cooler things I it just getting the footage and be able to see just like the, the crowds just slowly start to notice that it's Stan Hansen with Brody and of course they know the history between Hansen and Brody and then the melee it is one of those like a lot of like one of those like true like first like at least to me like one of those like great angles that that you would see that uh, baba at that time not necessarily big on that but like just having a guy be a second and completely destroying a tag match perfect way to kick kick off in the, the the next 19 years yeah and it just sets a tone for what stan hansen is in oh yeah that company what he's going to be in that company uh, it, it, that being said he doesn't you know, completely divorce himself from New Japan. He he famously returns for uh, the 1990 uh, Super Fight in Tokyo Dome show on the February 10th to face Big Van Vader uh, for the IWGP Heavyweight Title. Big big deal. It's like, oh my god, the top you know foreign guy in in all Japan is facing the top foreign guy at the time in New Japan. Oh yeah, and this is of course the famous match that that where you know because Stan Hansen has very poor eyesight, he he hits he hits you know poor leon white too hard knocks his eye out of its socket and you know leon has to push it back in and and keep his eye shut to make sure it doesn't fall out and then they just beat each other up for the you know the, the remainder of the match it goes to a double dq but it's one of the most famous matches 
of, of Stan Hansen's career is the this match with Vader. And I think also adds to his mystique. You know, oh, yeah. and this is like, you know, this is 1990. So he's still got another 10 years left in his career wrestling in all Japan. I, I think that, like I talked about, the, the first match I saw probably was Super Fight. But I think it was like one of those things that the first thing I think a lot of people found out about Stan Hansen was, oh, yeah, he knocked out Vader's eye at, at the in, in Japan. And it, it was almost like a almost like a schoolyard tale of like a big bully. It's like, oh, yeah, no, my dad could beat up your dad thing. And then you find the foot and it's like, oh, wow. And it's not just about, OK, this one lariat forearm hit him in the orbital. No, this is an absolute war that that happens. And then it continues from that. Well, it's it, interesting about that. Sorry to cut you off there. Like, oh, no, what, go right what's, ahead. What's, what's interesting about the relationship between Stan Hansen and Vader is that, you know, Leon White got his start in the AWA. You know, he was a baby bull, Leon White, and he's immediately, you know, put in there with Stan Hansen, who, from what I could gather, like, I, I don't really remember watching matches, but I remember reading the after mags and stuff like this. And of course, they're all kayfabe and stuff, but it's like basically what they're even saying in kayfabe is that, you know what? Stan Hansen ate this guy up and just like, you know, he, he, cause he, you know, Leon White in his first year of wrestling didn't have really any skills because of his size and like his, his foot, his foot, his football background, I think too. Right. That oh yeah. Yeah. He, he was a former LA Ram, I believe. Yeah. So, it, it, but like, and then years later, here he is, he's now repackaged as Van Vader. He's like the most pushed guy in Japan. Who's not, you know, like fucking Shinya Hashimoto or, or fucking Jumbo Saruta, and or, now he's or Anoki himself, he, or Anoki himself, and he's getting in there with with Hanson, and like it's like wow, if you know the history of Vader as Leon White and like and his relationship with Stan Hansen professionally, it's like it's really cool seeing that match and like how intense and like it's kind of a coming out party almost for for Vader. It's kind of like you know Stan Hansen the the the, the role he serves for like the the four pillars a lot. He serves kind of as for Vader here as well as the gatekeeper and like the the fact that you know Vader survived this encounter, even legit getting his eye knocked out of its socket, I think is a is 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 something that really helped Vader as well. Oh yeah. And and then when you look at what Vader went on like immediately right after that. So Super Fight in nineteen ninety, that's getting into Vader's best run in WCW right after that. And I think that when you look at Leon White as a wrestler and especially like the fact that he did there's not a lot for to him for such a long period of time. I, I think you look at his series with Hansen and he Hansen's the archetype, Vader is kind of the evolution in a way that I could see a I, I, I know that, of course, with the Noah split and basically everyone uh, leaving, that, that it completely changes your your hierarchy. But I could see a world where it is basically Hansen handing the ball off of his role to Vader in 2000 and going with that. And, and if that is a world that would have existed, I think that it would have worked out really well for the two of them. Like, imagine that time period and having... It, like Stan Hansen, like this great big man tag team wrestler, give him one of the other best big men of all time, and and Big Van Vader, and put him in a in a tag league. I think that it would have been so fascinating. Like that that that's something that you know just butterfly effects, sliding doors did not happen. But the, the, well, I mean, they did have them run together when Vader We're, does leave the WBF and goes to All Japan Pro Wrestling. He is teamed oh, yeah. with with Hanson and stuff like that. But I, I understand what you're saying, like where you know. Hansen, like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm winding down. 
I'm gonna right. yeah. pass a torch to Vader. Vader's gonna be me now. He's gonna be the exactly. me in this company. And if the split never happens, I mean, there's a lot of things like I could oh sure you know, theorize about what the split never happens. It's like Akiyama, Taiokea, Omori, and and Takayama trying to like elevate themselves to be like the new four pillars and things like that. Like you know, but and you know. Uh, too cold scorpio maybe you know just becomes a, a great like you know flying heavyweight wrestler in, in all japan and stuff like that that would have been interesting i'm at too cold scorpio and the the matches that could have happened it like into that division i it, it would have completely like turned the uh it, it would have turned that division on its head having just i mean he like was he was tight with vader so right, he's 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 protected in Noah. Mm-hmm. So like, and he got he got over in Noah. Like good old two cold Scorpio there. So oh yeah, oh yeah, because he was the uh, the hardcore crown for a while. Yeah, but he was also like GHC tag champions. With, yeah. with Vader because like they had such a great relationship. Which is like what you know we're on a tangent here, Mike. But that's one of the most interesting <laughs> friendships I find in wrestling is Big Van Vader and two cold Scorpio. Yeah, yeah that's friends. the one. That- yeah, yeah, that's the one that that you're wondering, like at Waffle House, why are they talking about? You know, like when they're away from the ring, like like is it something that their music tastes are like super in common? Like I, the, but the who, who who I would love to be a fly on that Waffle House. Their their mutual hate, hatred of Kip Fry, maybe I who knows. I, don't know. I, I mean, they would have been in good company. Exactly. I mean, they they were in WCW together, so that's probably where they you know, and he brings them over, right? I guess. Um, but also with. The, the Hanson Vader match. There's also the very famous match he also has with Hulk Hogan at the New Japan, All Japan, WWF Wrestling Summit show at the Tokyo Dome on April 13th, 1990. Uh, Hogan wins that match, of course. He's not doing any jobs. But, you know, like, it's interesting because, like, you always get the feeling, like, reading Hanson's book that he he likes Terry Boella. He likes Hulk Hogan. He, he has, like, a lot of respect for him. And then you feel like there's also kind of a mutual respect that, you know, Stan Hansen is one of those guys that actually Hulk Hogan respects as well. And, mm-hmm. and so, like, they're able to have this match. But, again, it's something that's like, okay, here's Stan Hansen. He's having a match with the most famous wrestler probably still at the time across the world in, in Hulk Hogan. And it's at this massive show at the Tokyo Dome that's like unheard of. New Japan and all Japan, forget it. It's like, wow, that's I can't believe that's happening. But also throw in the WWF. And it's something that like you really do get the impression that the like big takeaway of Hansen's book is that he is a businessman. He will tell you he is a businessman. He will remind you that. And I I, I would not think that him and Terry Balea would be such good friends but then like the way that hansen at least describes himself i would say that there is something of like oh at the end of the day hansen wants to make money and go home and he wants to support baba like those are his three motivations and i can see a kinship there and then especially with how hogan was and the relationship that i mean like uh, essentially when uh when hansen leaves uh new japan that that gave the position for hogan to make that step up and i could see maybe a little bit and somewhere in the huge massive Hulk Hogan ego that he recognizes that he got a part of that position because of Hanson leaving. And maybe yeah. that's why that they were able to have such a interesting friendship. I would say. I think also like Hanson, like you're saying, Hanson's like, you know, brother, you're not going over, but man, you're going to make a lot of money. <laughs> okay, sure. No problem. I don't care. It, it, at the end of the day, Stan Hanson was going like, Oh, is this like the best thing for business? Like it is, 
I'm surprised that we did not see like Stephanie McMahon walk out with like his book because how much it is about the business for him. Yes, for sure. He, yeah, he, just he, he wrong with book. Honestly, like if you're a wrestler and you're listening to this and you want to know, like, how do I conduct myself in wrestling to protect myself? You should read Stan Hansen's book. You should you should follow the ethos. And I and I, I don't say this even like as a joke. I like if you want to protect yourself, you got to follow the ethos of Stan Hansen because this guy had an amazing career and he looked out for himself. But not at the detriment of his main promotion, which was All Japan for Wrestling, because he he did have loyalty to the company that that had loyalty to him so you know that there's the thing go read the last outlaw you know it's a great book well maybe we'll have links in the show description for the for this for the <laughs> for this show but uh he he would have another match with vader uh the same year june 12th in fukuoka uh losing by dq and he would do several tag matches in in all japan teaming with with ricky choshu famously uh, another man famous for his lariat and 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 once with uh with wild pegasus chris benoit but uh you know like jumping earlier back to his career i do want to talk about his wwf run his wwf run uh mike um oh yeah he he starts there in 1976 working for vince senior and uh you know there's something about him i think he's paired with classy freddie blassie as his manager Mm -hmm. or was it the grand wizard i i I think he mentions it was blassie so i think it was blassie Blassie. Yeah. yeah so he's he's with blassie and then uh he starts feuding with you know like he's the he's the next guy to be fed to bruno who is the wwf heavyweight champion at the time and on april 26 in the match that they have uh hansen accidentally breaks bruno's neck by by a botched body slam essentially he 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 accidentally drops him on his head but you know this is wrestling so the you know the wwf and hansen saw a silver lighting hey i almost killed the guy but let's say it's not from a botched body slam, but from the power of my lariat, which is my finisher. And this is where the legend of his lariat takes off. Really, I feel, Mike, because like the fucking oh, yeah. magazines are like, let's run with it. Okay, yeah. He broke his neck with the lariat, and they got they just show the picture of like maybe he hit Bruno with the picture, and maybe not even from that match. I don't know. But it's like that broke Bruno's neck. Bruno's out for like you know like what two two months three months you know, which and- for them like when they're running MSG every like with their schedule that is big considering that Bruno is based around MSG and their whole entire model is feed Bruno's opponent Bruno beat them bring him the next one they broke Stan Hansen broke the cycle that they had yes and and Bruno would recover. And they would build towards his revenge magic in MSG, of course, uh, in a steel cage for the world title. And uh, the attendance for that for that the show is listed as twenty two thousand people in MSG, which is pretty good. Oh, that's incredible! That's, I mean, that's, that's great, right? It, it, and also, I think one one of the more fascinating things about this is while this is all happening, like the synchronicity of Stan Hansen, like almost a Forrest Gump kind of person, this feud with Bruno ends up with the showdown at Shea Stadium, which was when the when Inoki versus Ali was happening in Tokyo. The WWF has for a closed circuit. They aired it at Shea Stadium. Almost everyone else who had one of these uh, closed circuit things and put on a show around it bombed horribly. However, Stan Hansen and Bruno San Martino, like they were able to sell like 30,000 seats 
uh, tickets to Shea Stadium for that. And for like, and, and when you like look up the rest of the card, like, like McMahon really like leaned into this and was able to be probably be one of the few people other than in the long term Inoki walk around, walk away from the situation pretty happy with what all happened. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, he does leave the WWF. He comes back later from 81 to 82 for for to now the WWF. And he he would rekindle his rivalry with Bruno and also start some really cool feuds with Pedro Morales and Bob Backlund. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a really interesting. I like looking at the American career of Stan Hansen, especially in the 70s and early 80s, because it's like I don't associate him with like the WBF. I don't associate him with working in New York against Bruno, against you know wrestlers oh, like Pedro Morales or Bob, or Bob Backlund. But he he doesn't. I think it's a really fascinating aspect of his career. Yeah, because like when you talk about the model of Vincent Kennedy McMahon, it was really based around finding a a baby face, hopefully someone like Italian, Hispanic, something that could play into all the different neighborhoods around new york and then have like other people built up around it like having like a big texan and there did not match up whatsoever with kind of what the rotation was throughout the northeast and it's something that like tossing hansen in there and he talks about how he felt like such a fish out of water and him recognizing like oh i've done the uh, i'm a heel i always view myself as a heel uh i've done the san martino feud what happens after the san martino feud you do the morales feud and then after the Morales feud, you're moving down and down. And he was like, I think this is about time for me to move on. No one did that to to McMahon's. No one like was willing to do that. Hanson just, you know, he was getting things set up and he went on down to Georgia, I think, at that time. Yeah, he he gets the, the call to go, you know, you know, team with and, and work with uh, one of his legit best friends in, in, in wrestling, uh, Ole Anderson. He goes to Georgia Championship Wrestling. He He's doing uh, bookings for New Japan at the time. Uh, and this is before, you know, like before 82. And then, of course, that's when he makes the jump to all Japan. And immediately, you know, like he said, like we said, him and Brody in there with the funks. But also he's now he's being put in there with Jumbo, Jumbo Saruta and Genie Trio Tenru, Bruiser, Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen versus the, 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 the then teaming Jumbo and Tenru Dream Team. And it's like they're 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 doing killer business for for Baba, you know, and and they go to in '82 they go to the real world tag league finals against the Funks and and lose by DQ. This is before like the you know the, the you know, Baba adopts the the like UWFI mode of like clean finishes and a, a very different match from like one of my favorite tag matches of all time, which is you know uh, Stan Hansen and Tenru teaming. Against Jumbo Saruta and Yoshiaki Yatsu, the Olympics in, in uh, I think the '89 tag team finals. It's just amazing. Such a sick. I, I like the Olympics. The Olympics were like I, I like Yatsu a bit. So I, I I enjoy that that world that real world tag league. You know, if you see this match on YouTube, folks, it's easy to find. What you get not only do you get this amazing match in its entirety, right? You also get a clips from pretty much the entire tag league and this my god what a murderer's row of talent in in, in this tag league and and i won't go into it but like it's it's pretty awesome but like tenru and hansen what a fucking team mike they were I'm awesome so cool i i i like it tenru is such like a interesting guy just in general like the fact that like him and stan hansen and 
it, and it seems like out of everyone that he like like the natives him and Tenru became like super close living in, like, like they lived in the same apartment building in atlanta and like they got to know that there and just like the idea of like hansen and Tenru and, and where they would go to like i such a cool thing just because you have like Tenru, who in a lot of ways was a mirror of hansen I, I i think that's kind of fair to say like like at least like athleticism i would say for a guy of his size Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And also, like, you know, like, I mean, Tenru is such a great wrestler, but he's also just an incredible brawler, I think, oh, yeah. more so than, you know, Jumbo is, I would not consider Jumbo to be, uh, you know, a brawler type of wrestler. But Tenru, along with all, like, you know, like, he can do everything, but he's also a great, amazing brawler, which, you know, he can hold his own. Like, you watch Tenru, it's like, who can who can stand toe-to-toe with Stan Hansen and, and probably be you know, just as fearsome as him. It's, it's, it's more likely to be Tenru than, than it is anyone else in, 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 in Japan at the time. And, and if you think about it, like, like really like pull it back, uh, Tenru coming from sumo, like being a very successful sumo at that time, like coming in there and you think about similarities between like football, American football and sumo and like the training regimen, it's like, oh, wow, the, there's a lot more in common of these two guys. So like, no wonder they the two of them just went at it. It, it, and we're a great team together too yeah um so like i said before earlier in the show like you know hansen does have his his run with the uh you know awa the american wrestling association working for for Vern Gagne because at the time like you know awa had a relationship with all japan so it was okay for hansen to do dates for this baba was okay with it because like jumbo had had become the the AWA world champion. He famously bought the title from Fern for a run for Jumbo. <laughs> and then Jumbo loses it to Rick Martel. And then Rick Martel would draw. There's a nice synchronicity there. Then you know Jumbo oh, yeah. loses it to to Martel. Martel loses it to to Hansen. And then Hansen gets stripped of it because he won't do the job because he's like, no, like Baba's booked me with this fucking belt on a tour of Japan. Like I can't mm-hmm. lose this belt because it's going to screw up his business. And he, I take care of him before I take care of you. And he, like, he's trying to work it out with Vern Gagne, you know, in his, according to his book, but it's like Vern, Vern Gagne. It's like, no, I want that belt off of you. I want it back on Bachwinkle. Uh, and so famously he doesn't decide, no, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm not, I'm not going to take, he takes the physical belt with him. You know, they have to give Nick the, the, a tag belt and pretend it's right. the world title. This is where also they do the switch to the new belt that that's famous for like being on Kurt Henning and Jerry Lawler mm-hmm. as AWA World Champions. But you know, they, they they he's showing up in Japan. It's great. Like Hansen's got the physical AWA World Title belt. He's defending it, and they're like, "You have, you better stop that right now. We're going to sue you." So he says, "Okay, you send it back to us." So he runs over it with his truck. With tire oh, marks with on tractor. it. It's with his, with his tractor. Tra- with his tractor. It's got tire marks on it, and he mails <laughs> it back to them. It's great. This is where we talk about Stan Hansen. like, you you mess with my business. You try to hurt my relationship with my main business partner, Giant Baba. So this is what I'm going to do to you. And you know what? I, I take 
Hanson's and he he regrets it. He thinks he could handle it better. But I take Hanson's side on this completely, one hundred percent. It, it, it's something that uh, Hanson, the, 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 like when we talk about like in business, he's someone that he has a particular set of ethics that he has self-determined that it's family, work, and with work, it is protecting himself and his employer. And he, and he, he made it very clear, according to his, his own reporting, according to his own reporting, that, it, that he was not going to uh, job in that way. He was not taking falls. He is protecting himself because his money is made in japan and it's i wonder like if if it's something that with him and with Vern, like you have like two completely different kind of just mentalities about what business is and i i, I wonder if, if at a certain point it is football versus collegiate wrestling in a way but if you look at awa and how much it was based around these former collegiate wrestlers and what Vern was, and that just never was going to work out with the two of them. Just like how, no. just like also, with like Hanson and uh, Vincent James McMahon, like it just would not work out I, I, in any universe. I also think you know Vern being you know being you know he is AWA, right? Oh yeah. So to someone to say no to him is like unheard of. You know, you either leave him like like Hogan does, or. You, you know, like you just follow what he says and like, you know, Stan Hansen and you know, Nick Bockwinkel, I think famously, you know, talks about Hansen and Brody. And he's like, I, you know, these guys, you just took care of themselves. I don't respect them because they did not do business for other people. They just did business for themselves in a selfish way, he feels. Um, but, you know, but Nick Bockwinkel was always very much a, a company man, very loyal to Vern Gagne. So if, like what the situation with Hanson and like other things with, with Bruiser Brody would not sit very well with, with someone like Nick Bonkwinkle. And that's not to say Nick Bonkwinkle is wrong. Of course, from his perspective, that's, oh, yeah. that's not cool, but you know, like you can see both sides of the story, but like I said, I will always side. I, you know, in most cases, Mike, I will always side with the wrestler. Oh, oh no. Situations like this. Yeah. And it's something that I think with Bonkwinkle, like, even though he was not technically office, he really was office. Like in the greater scheme of things, of like we we case and I always talk about who's in the room versus who's not in the room. Nick Bockwinkle with AWE definitely was in the room no matter what. So it, it I I look at it and it's something that like Hanson. It is very much so that like it's not like in comparison to Brody, who would be like looking for things to be aggrieved about or at least. That's the way Hanson portrays it, is that sometimes that it might have been his own pessimism and his own paranoia there with him. Stan Hansen, like at least from the way that he presents himself, always was upfront about, hey, I'll do whatever you want to do, but I'm doing what's best for business, and my business is based with Baba, and I'm going to look out for that. And it's something that I think that with him, he's the only person who really was able to say that, and that's another reason why I think he's such like a one-of-one wrestler. I think it would have been better if like, you know, say, say Hanson did drop the belt, like, you know, the right way. Uh, and, and to someone in AWA, I think it would have been better if it was to Kurt Henning. Oh yeah. At the time yeah. rather than Nick Bockwinkel again. Yeah. Especially like Nikki at that time, you're, you're talking about like late eighties and AWA needed to get onto the Hennig. Like I know that you, you look at that time you had Martel who they really should have done a lot better with and they should have done a lot better towards Martel. Like I, that, 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 that's a me thing though. But 
yeah, they were not a company that was looking for that. And I mean, they were caught with their pants down a lot at, at that time. And I, at a certain point, if your pants that is down all the time, where who's the person dropping the pants? It's it's Vern. It's Vern. It's Vern. You know, and as an aside, a nice little bit of continuity with Rick Martell is that he adopts the Boston Crab as his finisher oh, because perfect. of the match with Hanson. It's which is great. <laughs> like if you watch his stuff in the Can Am connection with Zinc, and then oh, later yeah. on in Strike Force with Tito, he, he he they win the tag titles with the Boston Crab. I think right. Yeah, I think Strike Force the the finishes the crab. The crab, and it's like, oh, and if you're if you're me, it's like shit. He, he fucking he got that from Hanson. He's like, that's great continuity. <laughs> and what do you call that? Like it's like a it's like a Easter egg or or some shit. Like when we talk about wrestling as cinema, which by the way, just another aside, I hate that whole discourse about wrestling as cinema. It's not fucking cinema. It's fucking wrestling. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, I, I, as someone who went to film, who who was going to get a doctorate in film studies, no, it's not. If wrestling is not is not cinema, wrestling is a competition that is beautiful. Like yes, wrestling at its core, at its best, in my opinion, you can have like drama, you could have like wild gimmicks, but you know, like whether it's all Japan, New Japan, or and Dragon Gate, like my 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 favorite matches in Dragon Gate history, than when I was watching Dragon Gate very closely, are the ones that are like, oh my god, this is an amazing athletic contest. Whether it's between three different teams of you know, of four four guys on one, each team, or it's oh, like sure. uh, for the you know, or, or it's for the fucking Dreamgate belt or whatever, or Mochizuki versus Shima or something like that. It doesn't matter. It's like at right. its core. You know, it, wrestling is best when it's competition. But, anyways, I, I digress. Let's 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 wrap it up with Hanson. I do want to talk briefly. Nineteen ninety to nineteen ninety one, he does a very interesting run in WCW. Um, he he wins the uh, the he ends Lex Luger's longstanding United States title reign on uh, on October twenty seventh at Halloween Havoc in nineteen ninety. Uh, he would drop the title back. To, to Luger at uh, in a strap match of all things and in, in a Texas strap match I believe uh, at Starcade, but and then he leaves because they want him to do this like wacky gimmick with these guys called the Desperados where he would just be a joke. But if you watch his promos, he's like he's got the chewing tobacco coming out of his mouth. He's half naked. He does this promo famously with with Missy Hyatt, where it's just like <laughs> it's it's like that's not the Hanson that I'm familiar with, but I, I kind of like seeing this other version of Hanson that only exists in in 1990s WCW, which is complete clusterfuck. <laughs> and then comparing it to like, oh, the guy who's having like, who's like killing himself and killing, almost killing other people for real in All Japan for Wrestling. Yeah, it, it's something that, so he goes and does WCW at, it's such a complicated time, like backstage at WCW, that I I believe it's originally like ninety. He's going in that that's at the end of an Oli run with the book, and it's and, and that's right when you're starting to get Turner influence really into it. And I I really do like early nineties WCW. It, it is something that as I've gotten older and get better access to stuff and have the time, like going back and watching, like I I've become such a Sting fan like over oh, yeah. over the years like and it, a lot of that is watching like the early 90s stuff there and i think that it, if a wcw clusterfuck like, like always generally leaned that way i would have been so interested in seeing what would have happened if there wasn't the whole desperados thing if there wasn't kip fry bill hurd all of that just because like 
you had like someone that like that that was such like an athletic presence as a big man in that promotion when you had Sting right on his ascent. You you have Ron Simmons that's just about to reach that too. Cactus Jack coming in through there. Like you could have just like for as much as clap emoji uh, meaty men slapping meat, you could have like really had a really fun just like mini division of big guys. And I think St. Hansen getting a, a chance at like a a real like do like a six month feud with Sting. Oh I my think god. That, that would have especially Sting at that time versus oh, yeah. Hansen. And because like if you watch like Sting at that time, like that's really when he's starting to get actually really good. Oh gosh. He's not afraid. He's not afraid to lay it in and get, and have it laid into him, right? Yeah. So, that's so the like thing about 90... Sting. He's like he's not Hogan. He's like Hey, Leon, if you want to fucking hit me, go ahead. Yeah. I'm going to hit you right back. And Leon's like, no problem, Steve. Let's do it. It sounds great. Well, I was going to do it anyways. So it, it, it it's something that that WCW run, just in, in general, 1990, 1991 WCW is, it, 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 I find it really kind of weird. You have the Steiners being like the best tag team in the world at the time. I, it, wait, when, when, is Gordy and Han, when is Gordy and Williams coming in? to do, uh, their, do their short run in the company it, it, it's early 91 it's, it's yeah early. what a time dangerous alliance oh, oh my yeah. god what a fucking time steamboat comes back like oh, I, this is one of my probably my favorite period of steamboat's career besides his like you know mid-atlantic run is oh, yeah. like in, in 91 you know 1991 wcw fucking fucking fantastic but again we're we're we digress. Well, well, we, one day we'll do a podcast about 1991 uh, yeah. WCW. Well, well, let's find a way to get uh, him. Uh, let's find a way to get Stan Hansen and the Alliance and into war games that year. I feel like we can make oh it work. Oh my god, that that make anyways. But from from this point, from '82 to his last match in 2000, Stan Hansen makes his name, his base of operations in all Japan for wrestling, and this is you know ten relieves like he's talked about to form SWS. So there's a big vacuum. Okay. Bob is like lost his second biggest native star outside of jumbo. What's he going to do? His business is going to start fucking falling. Okay. I've got these four guys who are, and a, and, and a bunch of other guys who are surrounding them that I can start pushing and elevating. And they are of course, Mitsuhara Masawa, Toshiaki Kawada, Keneko Bashi and Akira Tawa. And then later on, of course, young Jun Akiyama, but you know, like it's interesting to watch Baba's booking of Masawa and Jumbo because he really, you know, he waits too long. He never gets the triple crown passing of the torch from Jumbo to Masawa. The person who ends up doing that is Stan Hansen, the person who is the gatekeeper that all the four pillars, uh, uh, even Tawa, I think, yeah, have yeah, to Tawa. overcome. Mm-hmm. But especially Kawada. Masawa and Kobashi, the one, the guy they have to overcome more than anyone else, more than Jumbo, because at the time also Jumbo has his health issues and he's right. being phased down and he can't, he can't do it. Right. And because also Baba waited too long. It's now, okay, who can I, who can I do? Who can I put in this position that I wanted Jumbo to be in to, to, to elevate these guys to be the gatekeeper that they have to overcome? It's Stan Hansen. It's, it's Stan Hansen for Masawa. It's Stan Hansen for Kawada. It's Hansen for Kenny Kobashi, especially I think Kobashi really mm-hmm. like overcoming Stan Hansen is the thing that makes everyone fucking fall in love with him. Besides him being fucking Kenny Kobashi, it's this it's this rivalry he has and this 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 obstacle, this mountain that he climbs that is Stan Hansen. 
and I think it's something that you look at how Hansen got himself to that point. And a lot of that is Hansen and just the particulars of St. Hansen. The, the fact that he was always there, that he was always kept strong, that he was so different from everyone else that no matter what, like Kawada versus Hansen, you, you, it just visually, you like, go like, okay, you have this constant just struggle and like the idea of him as the gatekeeper to the pillars or the six pillars it it, it rings so true because you have this guy that maybe he missed the maybe baba missed the handoffs as you're saying but you always have someone that if it's not the big handoff getting over hansen before you get to the triple crown before champion carnival before like doing this he's always kept strong and he's always perfect for that it this is something that i never really sort of consider the idea that maybe Stan Hansen is the greatest gatekeeper of all time. I I think so. Be- I mean, because like when you look at the rest of this, we're not saying this about like Hiroki Goto. Like he's, he's okay, whatever. But St. Hansen is like that mark that oh, if you don't get past It's not even just Stan, for the pillars. It's also for like Gordy. It's also oh, yeah. for Dr. Dusty Williams. It's also for like, and he teams with so many guys that he just by teaming with them, he elevates them into higher position in the company. So being like his tag team partner is like, you know, it's like a stamp of approval from Baba. It's also like to the other guys, to the other, to the fans. They're like, Oh shit. He's Stan Hansen's teaming with this guy. He must be something special. And we'll, we'll talk about his various tag teams that are like, I have my favorites. We'll talk about them. We talk about his accolades here, but, uh, but, but now we're going to get to the title history, but before we get into the title history, are there any, pressing points you want to make about stan hansen mike i think the thing that when you think about stan hansen you have to think about someone who carved his own path because we've talked all about how he does i believe 113 tours for all japan from 82 to 2000 and and for a period of that it's not just that he is doing these tours he is someone that at least from the way that he speaks of it, he goes to Japan and in a lot of ways learns to like make it his second home. Like he, his second wife is a native. He has children that are, that are half American, half Japanese are dual nationals that he, he does this. And and you don't hear that without anyone else. I, I, I mean, I don't, I can't think of very many people who have kind of cut the path that he did. And it's something that I, it, I get kind of sad thinking of that. Like he's not no longer doing the, the, he's no longer PWF commissioner or like during COVID he was not like showing up and doing declarations because he is like the living vestige of like this life and the, this era. And I think it, it, when you start talking about the 1990s and especially the eighties with all Japan, like, after you you list the pillars, after you list Akiyama, it inevitably comes to Hanson, and Hansen. for yeah. a reason. And I and let, listen, we're gonna do another next one after this biography is gonna be Jumbo, and I'll and I'll throw my flowers at Jumbo because I love Jumbo so much. But if you're gonna talk about the guy who is more important to the pillars than even Jumbo was, I, I'm gonna say it was Stan Hanson. Let's talk about his 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 title run. I'm gonna run through everything that's listed on Cage Match here. Uh, 
WCWA Texas Tag Team Championship, one time with Killer Tim Brooks. He was the NWF World Heavyweight Champion for the New Japan Pro Wrestling for one time. I think against Inoki. I think he won mm-hmm. the belt from Inoki. Uh, the National Wrestling Alliance uh, United States Champion, one time. World Tag Team Champion, one time with Ole Anderson. Uh, National Tri-State North American Championship, one time. Uh, the uh, NWA Georgia Heavyweight Championship, twice. He was NWA Georgia Tag Team Championship uh, two times, uh, both with uh, Tommy Rich, interestingly enough. Um, AWA, he was the AWA International Heavyweight Champion, which I don't recall that particular title. AWA International Heavyweight Champion. Not World Heavyweight Champion, because it's listed. He had both of these belts, but I don't recall the international heavyweight championship. And Melissa was something they gave to, to Larry Zabisco as a, as a placeholder. <laughs> hey, you know, Larry Zabisco was the son-in-law. of right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. The, the, this is the, Oh, the, we're not letting you have the real belt. That's going to Nikki. Here you go. Yeah. I think it's something like that. NWA international tag team champion one time with Ron Bass. Uh, and now we're going to get into the all Japan era, but before the triple crown, he's the PWF, the Pacific wrestling federation, uh, world tag team title, uh, three times once with Ted DiBiase. One of my favorite tag teams with Hanson is the team he has with Ted DiBiase, because I think it's a perfect complement of a technical wrestler with a big wild brawler. Oh yeah. And it's something that is so different from most of his other tag teams, because like what we'll say about Gordy and Brody that's not Ted DiBiase, especially of that time period. No, it is such, if you have a chance to see the team of DiBiase and Hanson working together in all Japan, please go out of your way to find the, the, the matches they are out there. It is a, such a great tag team. Of course, one time with, of course, Bruiser Brody. And one time, interestingly enough, with Austin Idol, of all people. It's, it's just, I, I haven't seen the, the tag team matches of Austin Idol. And I kind of want to go look for them right now. I, I feel like that that, that is... The same situation as Ted DiBiase, but for completely different reasons. It's not necessarily a compliment thing. It's just like, okay, this is what we're working with today. Oh, wait, now we're champions. He is the Pacific Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion four times. He is the NWA international heavyweight champion one time. The NWA United National Champion one time. These are, of course, the three belts that would become the Triple Crown. He is the All Japan Unified World Tag Team Champion eight times. Like eight times with Gary Albert, Gary Albright once, which is a great tag team. Like, yeah, I I, I like. What a team. I'm, a, I'm I'm a Gary Albright head. I think he's he he is really kind of like we live in the worst universe because we did not get to see Gary Albright really take off the way he could have. I think he Baba was going to push that like this guy to the moon if he if he didn't have his health problems uh right. once with uh danny spivey a great tag team of two incredibly large men danny spivey is fucking frightening to watch in all japan especially because he's teaming with someone as as with the with the status of stan hansen yeah, yeah because like outside of baba who is as tall as spivey uh, regularly on those shows like it, it it's like no one else everyone else is looking up to him yeah, I and I, I'll, I will, I will. This is my hot take. I like the team with Hanson more than I like the skyscrapers. You know what? Okay, I, I, I see you on that WH. I, 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 I see your logic. Yeah, no. Twice, uh, twice with Terry Gordy. Um, uh, three times with Tenru. <laughs> Amazing, and once with 
Ted DiBiase. I think, you know, outside of like the four pillars, the guy, the person I associate the most with the World Tag Team Championship in all Japan is, is Stan Hansen. And I think it's something that, I mean, you've listed it off. It's, it, when I think about like tag team wrestlers, you, you often like nowadays, at least modern tag team wrestlers, it's always as a unit and as a group. I like thinking back about the people that you were able to like throw into like I like Bobby Eaton. Bobby Eaton was someone that is known as like one of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time. And it's throughout like different combinations of Midnight Express and then other tag teams with it. And for me, I look at like all the different combinations that uh, uh, all the different versions of teams that Stan Hansen had. And it's so much like just like variety and it's a variety in big guys, too, because uh, Gary Albright vastly different wrestler than you would see from bruiser brody who's a vastly different wrestler than uh terry gordy and it's just one of those things that it i i've never truly like stepped it out but there's probably an argument that for his style and for like his versatility stan hansen might be one of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time i i I can't argue that i i think if you watch any world tag team title match that he has with any of his partners against like Kobashi and Misawa, Kawada and Tawe, or like, even like, like what, what's really fun is like watching him like team with Spivey and DiBiase and and whoever against the miracle violence connection, who were like the dominant foreign tag team of, of Gordian Williams is like, and what's great about that dynamic is you can see Gordian Williams really want to take that, that spot from Hansen oh, yeah. as the collective, like together, we're going to destroy Hansen. Like legit. I feel like they were like, okay, we need to reach his level. We need to beat him. We need to show that we can hang with him in mm-hmm. these matches. And you can see they're just trying so hard to claw their way into Hansen's position. And, but Hansen is like, uh, uh-uh, fuck you. This is my spot. You're not going to take it away from me. It's so fun to watch any combination of Hansen and whoever he's teaming with at the time against Gordian Williams. Oh yeah, it, it it it's something that when I'm thinking about tag team partners of Hanson, like it it is so unique the ability of having the variety and then the matchups that you have the chemistry with. Like a- a- absolutely, when you talk about Gordy and Williams, and it, it is it it's not just like subtext; it's played out like just this competition to be the best. And Hanson is all about that he talks about like the reason why he the the his overall wrestling thesis that he has as of 2011 about like what is changing in wrestling and what draws it to him is the competition and whenever he like talks about people that he enjoyed dishing it out with it's like to me i felt like they got the competition too and you, it, it just worked in a way that you were able to have all these very different combinations that just would just worked out naturally and it and it's one of those things that at the end of the day with baba and how 90s all japan was like miss handoffs yes but like having the ability then to just feel like okay stan hansen is almost cement in a way and it's time to have more people just take a run at stan hansen and it's just a beautiful formula to see play out each time it is and and finally we're gonna we're gonna list his triple crown a title ones he's he's been triple crown champion Four times he won it. First time he wins against Terry Gordy. He then subsequently loses it back to Terry Gordy. Um, he he loses the he wins against uh, in a in a 
decision match against Mitsuharu Masao because you know Gordy has his his drug problems and he he has to vacate the title, and then he from there he loses it to Jumbo Suruda. From uh, Jumbo Suruda, he then he wins the title from Jumbo again. He loses it to Masawa, uh, and then uh, he wins it from Toshiaki Kawada, and he loses it again for the final time to Masawa. This is also the point where, like, okay, Kawada cannot beat Masawa <laughs> at this point in time. Yeah, Hanson's kind. Of, it's interesting because Kansen is really placed in a lot of ways as like like the buffer between Kawada and Masawa, and Kawada getting that win against Misawa and like, okay, we also want to kind of protect, you know, Kawada from Misawa to some extent. So we're going to have him be like the, the transition from, you know, Misawa to Kawada and vice versa sometimes. Yeah. It, it, it's something that like when, when like we think about Stan Hansen and the, like the position he played there, like the, the ability to be this glue figure. And I think that that's something that you couldn't really have like, uh, like you can have Junakiyama be like the glue person or be a kind of a transition person. It kind of had to be a certain kind of role that you're able to play off of and you're able to still have the matchups and you're able to go like, okay, we are going to go from Hanson can be here. And when you think about his, uh, when you think about his triple, cro- uh, his triple crown runs, he only has, it, it's not a long time combined. It is really preparing for the next champion and getting it to that point. And I think that being the intermediary between Masao and Quad is kind of perfect. It's kind of the perfect example of that role. It, it is. And uh, yeah, and, and we'll wrap it up there, but I, I do recommend, like if you want to get a great guide to his, Sanhedrin's greatest matches, like just go to cage match, go, go to like the match guide type, you know, type, you know, like click on the, uh, the rating, you know, like, um, and it will give you a listing of his greatest matches. And I, I would watch these in order that they're in. Number one is actually the Saruta Yatsu versus Tenru Hansen match from the 89 Real World Tag League Finals. This is, you know, a perf- this is a perfect tag match, Mike. Like, yeah. this match. Yeah, it's insane the fact that, and, and I don't have the observers of this time, that it was only three and a half stars. Like, it's listed as that, but it's such a absolute blast of a tag match and super phys- physical storytelling, just working it off and getting it to that point. And then, like, Saruta's hot tag in it is... Oh, um, my God. It's, it's otherworldly. A thing of beauty. Uh, the July 29th, 1993 match against Kenna Kobashi, where he, where he nearly uh, decapitates Kobashi, who's sitting on the turnbuckle <laughs> as the finish. What an amazing finish. Probably one of the greatest finishes in the history of professional wrestling, Mike. And I just love the fact that, and as a former film archivist, I care about these kind of things. I love the way that like the lens flare and the light glare come in for that match. It is something special. Like Just like catching it, especially like at that time. It is just like Budokan with the lights of that and with the film sock. And maybe it is the third or fourth generation version of it that I saw at that time. It was kind of magical. Uh, number three is uh, December 16th, 1988. Uh, Tenru and Kawada, a young Kawada. And, Icy you know, Kawada. against uh, Hanson and Gordy. And this is the famous match where Hanson and Gordy just destroy Kawada's leg and, and, and really put Kawada on a map with the fans to become a, like uh, the sympathetic guy that they're going to start getting behind. 
yeah, I, I know Kawada and Misawa have like their trials and tribulations, but do we think like a, like 5% of his crankiness came from uh, December 16th, 1988? Because I could believe it. I, I, that... Maybe, maybe. But, you know, they, they he's always had a good relationship with Stan Hansen, like Kawada. You know? Yeah. He, he hated Steve Williams, legit. But but I think he's always had a like a grudging, like not even grudging. I think he's always had respect and right. Stan Hansen because it's like, he this guy helped put me over actually helped get me to a next level in this company that maybe he wouldn't have necessarily have achieved with anyone else but you know that's a great match it's like if you want to see how to get sympathy how to get heat in a tag team match on one person's body body you know part portion of their body watch oh like, yeah 12 16 88 uh and then the 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 final two match you know running out the top five are uh september 4th 91 and uh september 5th 96 both against uh kenny kobashi would you say stan hansen's greatest rivalry in japan was against kenny kobashi i think you're it's like the natural thing to to kind of go to just because hansen was almost at like his apex like every beat around kobashi's ascent and like kobashi's young boy says like throughout it and then finally kabashi becoming the megastar and the one of the five most talented wrestlers of all time in my opinion based around that i i always really enjoyed the him with kabashi and it i struggle to think of someone at, at least out of the pillars like i liked i i like the chemistry that him and kwada have but i think Kabashi's the bigger rival i think so i i would totally say that the you know kabashi you know vader and sting kabashi henson you know oh yeah there's, oh, there's a similar sure. dynamic going on there i think yeah same vibe as the kids would say so uh, that i think that's gonna bring us to the end of of our our discussion about st hansen i i i i had a blast mike thank you oh, so thank much you so much yeah no for sure it's my pleasure wh I, I i love talking about wrestling history and it seriously the last outlaw it is one of the more interesting wrestling books you'll come across and really the one person who can kind of give perspective of a really tumultuous time in pro wrestling, like Stan Hansen did like, cause like, like Forrest Gump, he was there the entire time. And yeah. it's a fascinating book and a lot of kind of cool stories about, you know, him and Brody going out partying. And that, that, that was always the thing is like him and Pete Roberts. Like I, I've never really had much of opinion of Pete Roberts as a wrestler, but he must be the best guy ever, you know? Pete Roberts, we don't people don't know, is a British wrestler that Stan Hansen became friends with in New Japan, I believe. Right. And then Pete Roberts stayed in New Japan, but like Hansen was like jumped to all Japan, but they stayed friends, but they had to keep it really secret because they were working for rival companies. Companies went time with kayfabe, especially in Japan, was like alive in a while, so they could not be seen together in public. Oh, for so, sure. But like he'll say, like Stan Hansen just puts Pete Roberts over big time. Um, my favorite story, as as my final thing, Mike, my favorite story in that book is the story about. Harley Race not getting on the bus uh, because he wants to eat his breakfast. And this is Harley Race, NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. You know, guy's got a lot of stroke. Baba's a, you know, All Japan is an NWA affiliate. They mm -hmm. need the world touring world champion to come over there. Baba never books him again after that because he held up the bus because he wanted to eat breakfast. You get there 10 minutes early. You get there 10 minutes early. It's a story as old time, as old as time is uh foreigners not understanding that when they say like you need to be there on time you need to be there on time 
And, and Hanson, because Hanson is, is from his perspective, he has no sympathy for Harley. He likes Harley, yeah. <laughs> but he has no sympathy. He's like, yeah, you, you held up everyone else. You should have been there like we all were. And, yeah. But, and he has no sympathy for Harley. And I'm sure he, he has a lot of fondness for Harley and he likes him. But it's like, hey, when you're in Japan, that's the thing. He is a gatekeeper for the other foreigners to come to Japan. This is how you behave here. And mm-hmm. this is what I expect you to, but how do you conduct yourself on the bus, at the hotels, at, at, at the buildings? I, I think every single one of those GCW kids, somehow they get booked in, like doing a DDT shot. We just need to, just as a public service, send them a copy on Kindle of The Last Outlaw. The, the, the no, you know what the they need? Read. We need to send them, like, we need to send a copy of the contract that Joe Higuchi gave to every American <laughs> wrestler of how to conduct yourself in all Japan for us oh, while you're on tour. Oh, a- absolutely. It, the competition is going to be strong and keen, but you get on that bus and don't wear gym clothes in the in the lobby. Like, just like, the, it, I don't know if, if this is a a saying that ever made it up to Canada, but Mama Spears's like favorite thing to say to me when I was a kid was, "Were you born in a barn?" Like to, essentially, that's what Joe Higuchi was was like telling the was telling these pro wrestlers. It's like, come on, guys, you're guests. Like, put on pants. Don't yeah, drink you're, beer. you're 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 representing this company, which has a, a you know a high, very high standing in the public eye uh, in Japan here. So please look like professionals, please. Like <laughs> you know, the whole thing about like Baba won't that, that didn't like people like you know wearing you know like polo shirts out of untucked of their jeans. It's like every one of you put your jeans into. Your t- into your je- put your polo shirts into your jeans that was a very big thing and then akiyama broke all that broke the mold with that apparently so i, I mean akiyama he just wanted to be able to let his shirt uh tail fly and no one is literally literally yeah. metaphorically <laughs> and literally here mike thank you so much oh, thank you again uh, if people want to find more of your work please tell them where they can find you so as uh, WH very nicely plugged me up top, I am a part of Open the Voice Gate with K-Slow. We have been going in various forms in our coverage of the Dragon System since 2016. We've been doing it for a while, and uh, we actually are coming off of one of our bigger uh, times of the year. Dragon Gate ha- has their biggest annual show, Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival, in July. It was the second this year. If you're looking to check out some stuff... Uh, one of the favorite shows that Case and I did uh, about three weeks ago. It's up on uh, the Open the Voice Gate podcast feed. And you can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. We need to figure out our blue sky and threads future. But that's the best way to do this. But we have this episode with the English, uh, the, the official voice of Dragon Gate for English listeners, Jay Church. Three hour long episode. If if you like kind of tangents and the, and the stuff that WH and I got into, then I would love for y'all to check out that episode. Okay. Let, let me tell and, you something, folks. I listened to this episode because uh, Dylan Fox over at the Eastern Laird was putting it over big time. And like, not that I don't listen to your shows. It's just like, you know, I pick and choose sometimes, uh, okay. Mike. But like Dylan was like, just telling, like talking about it on Twitter. I'm like, okay, this sounds interesting. So I downloaded it. I'm telling you from like, Five minutes in, I am fucking howling at the things being revealed <laughs> on this podcast. Like, if you want to know, uh, seriously, if you want to know about the inner workings, not just of Dragon Gate, of the entire pro wrestling industry in Japan, you might you must listen to this episode of Open the Voice Gate with Mike Caselo <laughs> and Jake Church from the, the English commentator for for the Dragon Gate uh, promotion. Hey, it, it, if you want to 
uh, figure out what the deal with uh, Masato Yoshino nowadays is. That's just one thing that we talk about on that show. But yeah, just uh, follow us at Open Voice Gate. Uh, I am on social media on Twitter, Fujiheya. I'm trying to get everything assorted but as spears evasions where i do a lot of just wrestling streaming as well but open the voice gate and spears evasions is where you can go and check me out and thank you again for having me yeah i mean let me just say again like you know if you want to know about just get great analysis of just pro wrestling in general like mike's a great person to follow on social media not just to drag you but just like anything he, he 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 watches it all and he he can talk about it all like as you could pretty much figure I, out from from an hour of us talk hour and a half of us talking here <laughs> i mean i'm like the rare person that chris jericho versus commander scratches a certain itch in my brain and i go like <laughs> yes i have to go and see this right now so so thank you so much for the kind words yes so mike you'll come back in the future to do a match review i oh, absolutely I, 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 we'll we'll get it we'll get a match out of you maybe, maybe something from the, from from the 80s maybe if you want to go there you know maybe we'll do if i don't i don't think i've done the 89 real world tag league finals maybe we'll save that for you oh, yeah. but we'll we'll see but you know we'll see how that goes that. we'll see how it goes we'll go see but it goes. for sure and and for sure check out mike's work over at uh you know over at voices of wrestling you can check me out mc you later uh i'm gonna be covering like about four shows for the g1 for post wrestling uh including the finals this summer i i my god i have to wake up early to watch these shows and then go to work and then come back to record them with various people (laughs) post wrestling mike hey it i am happy as someone who is focused on dragon gate as like my primary beat that was my june my june was getting all this stuff together for uh, Dragon Gate and Kobe World coverage. Now I'm at a point where it's like G1. I, I I'll go back and I can revisit it now. You go. <laughs> like it, it, it is something that it that that for me that, that has sometimes not covering the the biggest promotion in a country pays off in a way. Now I think I so. Sit back. I think so. Yeah. I I'm looking forward to it because I, I'm looking forward to the people I'm going to be uh, talking oh, with. Eric sure. Marcotte. Karen, Karen Peterson, John Pollock, and and, and some and others, and uh, it'll be fun. But uh, check those out over at the. I believe there'll be uh, Patreon shows on the Post Wrestling Cafe, so please subscribe if you want to hear those. But until next time, for Mike Spears, I'm WH Park, and we will see you next time. And until then, goodbye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.